0: Hey everybody, it's Chris. Welcome or welcome back to the Beyond Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this conversation, would you head to our socials at Beyond Church AU, either on Instagram or Facebook and give us a follow. That's the easiest way to share this content with a friend who might find it helpful. And while you're at it, you can click the link in our description to sign up to our email newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay up to date on everything that's going on around here at Beyond. But in the meantime, I hope. this following conversation inspires you to take your next step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Um, we're jumping in this conversation called "What God Is Really Like," and um, <clears throat> there's a question. I'll be honest. There's a question that I really don't like when people ask it. I just kind of, if I'm meeting someone new for the first time, I try and angle the conversation so that no one they don't ask it, or we can kind of get away from it. And you're going to judge me as soon as I say this question. Um, You've probably asked this question. It's probably not a question that pops up on your radar at all because you probably couldn't care if someone asked you this question. But the question that I try to avoid is um, so what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? Now let me clarify. I love what I do for a living, okay? I love being part of this community. I love what we get to do together and how we um, make faith accessible for people in our community. I love that. But there is no way, there is a, if there's a surefire way to torpedo a conversation and make it as awkward as possible... It's to tell people that you're a pastor, okay? Right now, I just recently moved into um, to a neighborhood, and uh, this is how like it's kind of getting a little bit easier for me because people just have no clue what a pastor is, right? Like, and I moved into this new neighborhood, my wife and I, in December last year, and I met our new neighbor. His name's Sean, and we're like having the conversation, and he and and uh, and I I walked into it, right? Because it was tired. I was in the afternoon. I was like, "So, Sean, what do you do for a living?" Because I knew nothing about Sean. And, uh, and he's like, oh, I'm a tiler. And he starts telling me about like, his job. And he's like, I actually did the tiling on your pool when, uh, when Matt was putting it in. And I was like, oh, awesome. And so I talking, and then he's like, and what do you do for a living? And I was like, I'm a pastor. And like, it didn't get awkward. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And he's like, oh, I didn't know they had many of them anymore. And I was like, yeah, there's, there's a few, few of us around. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I just kind of thought they would have found that out to corporations and stuff. And I'm like, what did he think i say that i did he thought i was a pastor maker like no joke he was like i je- i thought you're a pastor maker and so yeah it um yeah so it, it was a little bit longer the only time it's really good um is when you get door-to-door salespeople, okay and they've done all their sales training right and they've done it and then they walk in and part of their sales training is they're trying to make a rapport with you so they're trying to figure out what you do um for work and that and then they're like what do you do and you're like i'm a pastor that is not in their training at all. So it's just really easy to thank you so much, have a great day, um, and can move them along. <coughs> and I think one of the reasons, right, what people ask that question, um, apart from the fact that, you know, it's just the question that you ask, is people are trying to figure out when they're getting to know you, when they're learning about you, like, What is this person like? What's their personality? And our jobs, kind of, um, or the things that we choose to spend a lot of our time on, you know, they kind of make up part of our identity. They make up part of who we are. And now we all know that our jobs are not our identity, right? Our jobs are not all of, um, uh, they're not the most important thing about us. But this series, um, this series we're actually going to talk about the most important thing about us. We're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about um, this idea that is the most important thing about it. And the most important thing about you, just so you're aware, it's not your job, Um, It's not your age, it's not your gender, it's not where you were born, it's not where you live right now, it's not how much money um, that you make. I think the most important thing about us, and well, we actually probably won't agree on this. Um, We probably won't agree. But to kind of get this conversation going on what I think the most important thing about us is, is I want to use a quote from this author. His name's A.W. Tozer, and he sort of sets up where we're going with this conversation. He says this, he goes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing About us. So when I say God, you don't have to answer this out loud. When you hear the word God, what comes to your mind? What pictures do you have in mind? What kind of thoughts start to rattle around your mind? Is it for you like, oh, it doesn't exist, so I don't have any thoughts at all? Now, look, here's the thing I'm not saying Toza's right. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying if this is true, I think it's important for us to have a conversation about it. I think it's at least important enough. Um, for us to talk about it um, for a few weeks and in fact there's a guy um, <coughs> some of you have probably heard of this uh, guy uh, his name is C.S. Lewis he wrote the, um, the books The Chronicles of Narnia maybe you've watched the movies The Chronicles of Narnia if you're a millennial um, maybe you came to C.S. Lewis through Saturday Night Live um, when Andy Sandberg did maybe one of the most classic raps of all time, um, called The Chronicle's What Tell of Narnia, um, or, or The Chronic, actually, The Chronic of Narnia was his rap. So maybe you like didn't know that that was about a book from a guy called C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis read this, um, this piece by Tozer, and here was his response. He said this, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. He goes, but by God himself it's not. So he didn't agree with this. He goes, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. So he goes, I think this is the most important thing, how God thinks about us. Indeed, how we think of Him is not important except insofar as is is related to how He thinks about us. So who's right? Well, they're probably both right, okay? It's probably two sides of the same coin. On the one side, there's, there's how do we think about God, but then on the other side, there's there's how God thinks about us, because both of those things are connected, you know. How you think about God will influence how, God, how you think God thinks about you, and how you think God thinks about you will also um, impact how it is that you think about God. And the reason why I wanted to kind of use this as sort of the launch-off point for our conversation for the next couple of weeks is really simply this, is, is how we think about God matters, Right, how you think about God and how we think about God matters. Right? If you think that, um, that God doesn't exist, well, that matters because that's going to paint a picture for the way that you view the world. If you think that God is just kind of this big cosmic being that's so big and sits on this massive throne somewhere in heaven or wherever that might be and doesn't really care about your problems and the things you're struggling through, well, that matters. You know, if you think that God only cares about church people or people who look a certain way or talk a certain way or dress a certain way, well, well that matters. If you think that the only time you need to talk to God is when you kind of want to leverage God for, for your benefit, you know, when something's not going right or you need, you need a hand so you think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray now or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible, I'm going to leverage God for, for vain. If you maybe think that, you know, God, the only reason that God created the world or that people exist, you know, um, is because God, you know, wanted someone to like, pray to Him or talk to Him, maybe you think God's a narcissist, that, that matters. And the reason all of this matters, how you think about God, is because how we think about God will determine who we are, what we become, and how we act. You know, if, you, if you talk to yourself long enough, and you tell yourself a certain narrative for long enough about yourself, that will influence who you become. And ultimately, if you believe that about yourself, you'll begin to act in a certain way. And the same's true about God. If we believe that God is disconnected and doesn't care, well, then that's going to determine what we think about God, which will determine how we, how we begin to behave and how we act in, uh, in the world. And this, this is not just about us, right? Because this also, how we view, um, view and we think about God, this impacts how we think about social justice issues. It impacts how we view morality. It impacts how we view um, how we treat people who don't share our views and values. It impacts all sorts of areas of our life. And this is, this is a big deal, right? Or at least I think it's a big deal because it's tough to get life right when you get God wrong. You know, it's really hard to kind of get life right and feel like that there's purpose in your life, to feel like that you, you know, you're moving in the direction that you want to in life when the picture that we have about God is wrong. And worse than that, I think when, when we get God wrong, people get hurt. In fact, maybe that's one of the reasons that, you know, you resist church, you're not sure about church, or every time that you say, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, you always have to kind of add a caveat on the end, but I'm not one of those Jesus followers. Because people have had a picture of God that allowed them to mistreat people and misbehave and do it in the name of God. And it's really, really hard then for other people who look in and see that and they think, well, if that's what God's like, what what does life look like, right? Because it's tough to get life right when um, we get God wrong. Now, here's what you need to know. For the next couple of weeks, I'm not just going to share my thoughts on this, okay? I'm not going to share Toza's thoughts on this. I'm not going to share Lewis's thoughts on this. Because honestly, that's just like another person kind of getting up and giving you their running commentary on their picture of God. And that's kind of one of the challenges and one of the reasons that maybe you kind of have a negative image of God because you just kind of got someone's picture of God. Instead, what, what I'm going to do is, um, is I want to share what Jesus had to say. I want to share um, Jesus' picture of, who, uh, of he, who he thought God was, and I'm going to do it through a, uh, through a story. It's a story, actually, if you've been part of Beyond for, um, for any length of time, it's a story that eight years ago, or nearly eight years ago when we launched um, Beyond, we, we use this story to kind of kick off, um, kick off our community, kick off our church. And we spent um, a couple of weeks in it because it's such a powerful story, I think, on, on who God is. And it actually kind of helps us get God, uh, the picture of God right. And the funny thing about this story, as is, is we'll begin to discover and we'll begin to unpack, is um, the people who thought they had God right realized they had God wrong all the time. And the people thought, who thought they could never get God right realized they were actually maybe closer to God than um than what they'd um what they thought originally now h- before we get into this story here's something that's that's just important to kind of give us um to, for us to keep in mind as we look through this story and something to keep in mind something that's really important is this thing called context okay you ever see those annoying articles on facebook that's like the headline and then you click the headline and then you start to read the article and you're like that headline had like nothing, like maybe 5% to do with like the actual article. Like, yeah, they said those words, but the context was completely out of context. Or maybe you're on Instagram or you're on TikTok and like someone like stitches it and they like take a snippet of someone's speech and then they jump in like, see, this is why this person's a bad person. This is why this way of thinking is terrible. And you're like, what I would really like is I'd like to know the context of the rest of their speech. I'd like to know who were they talking to? What was it all about? And so context is super super important it's super super important so here's what you need to know about this story that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks that jesus is telling first thing happened in the first century specifically first century palestine palestine it was hot it was humid it was sticky it was a jewish culture that was under occupation by the romans okay it was completely disconnected for a lot of us from the context and the culture that we live in today and so as we walk through this we're going to point out and we're going to highlight some things about this story that might be foreign to us. But it's foreign to us because we often don't understand the context and the culture of the first, uh, of the first century. But in order to give us an even little bit more context as to what was going on, there's a, a, a first century doctor. Um, his name was Luke he wrote a biography on the life of Jesus he interviewed everyone he could kind of get his hands on he lived with some of these people he spent time with some of these people and he wrote a biography on the life of Jesus and he gives us a little bit of context into the people that were gathered around Jesus as he began to tell this story and this is what he says he says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus so here's what you need to know <clears throat> tax collectors These people are the worst of the worst, all right? If you went to a high school reunion and you kind of did the 10-year thing and you rocked up at your high school reunion and this person's like, hey, what do you do now? And they're like, I'm a tax collector. I really thought we could be friends still. It's not, right? And the reason no one liked tax collectors is because tax collectors were Jewish people who taxed their own people on behalf of the Romans and then they kept some of the money for themselves. So they pretty much ripped off their own people and got rich off it. And so no one liked the tax collectors. Not even the, the people who would classify themselves as sinners. They're like, no, 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 no. We're not with the tax collectors. Create a separate category for them and stick them over there because we're not as bad as them, right? And the sinners, this, these are the group of people because you've got to remember everyone in the first century was religious. Everyone in the first century, um, particularly in the area that Jesus was, they were Jewish. Now the sinners were people who pretty much looked in on religion, looked in on the way the temple lived, and they just went, you know, that's too hard basket for me. Like there's no way I'm going to live up to that standard. And, and so I just don't care anymore. I just don't care what the pastors say. I don't care what the priests say. I don't care what the religious leaders say. It's just all too much for me. And so these, this group, they were, they were gathered around Jesus, but his, here's who else was there. But the Pharisees, so the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law muttered. Right? I love that word. Because it's just something I kind of think like the, the hacked off religious leaders would do, right? They just stand off, the, they wouldn't have a conversation, just stand there muttering. <clears throat> and this, here's what they muttered. This man welcomes sinners and he, um, and he eats with them. How dare he? How dare he, uh, how dare he eat with them? And, and this kind of offended the Pharisees, right? Because the Pharisees, if someone was to say in the first century, hey, what picture do you have in your mind about God and what God is like? Most people would say, oh, Pharisees. Yeah, they're kind of the people. They have it all together. They go to the temple. They, they seem to know all the rules. They seem to know the right things to say. They, they teach us about God. That's their picture of what God is like. And so the Pharisees were really, really frustrated with Jesus because all these people were gathering around Jesus and Jesus was saying, hey, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. And it was nothing what they were like, and it was making them mad. So then what Jesus does is Jesus told them um, this parable. In fact, He he actually doesn't tell them one parable. He tells them, um, he tells them three parables, okay? Um, and it really, a parable is just a story. If you're ever wondering, like, what's that word? It's, it's a story. I um, mean, here's your fun fact for Sunday, okay? You can, you can take this away with you. Um, parable is actually this Greek word. It's kind of like um, two words. One is para and one is bol. And one means to throw, um, to throw along and the other is meaning. So really, a parable is just an average story that has a meaning thrown alongside it. That's what a parable is, if you've ever ever wondered. It's a story that has a meaning thrown alongside of it. And so Jesus takes this boring, ordinary story and then throws meaning alongside of it, right? And we love stories. It's a culture, we love stories, right? That's why, you know, we love TV series and we love movies and we love books and we love watching vlogs, right? Because we love the stories and we love following along with stories. And so Jesus tells these, um, he tells these three stories. But before I tell you who, um, who he, uh, tell you about these three stories, just a question for you to think about as we're looking at these. He says this, oh sorry, the question is this, who is this parable directed towards? Remember, there's two groups there. There's the tax collectors and the sinners, and then there's the Pharisees, the religious people. The reality is, as Jesus was telling these these three stories, he was directing it at both people. He was directing it to the religious people who were like, hey, I know what God is like. I know, I know what God's picture is. And Jesus was trying to tell them, maybe you don't exactly know what God's like. Maybe you've missed it a little bit. Maybe your picture of God isn't as clear as what you thought. And he's also saying to the, to the sinners who just didn't think it mattered what they thought about God. He's saying, no, 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 it, it matters deeply what you think about God. In fact, the answer, what is God really like? Jesus is like, that's such an important question for you to answer. And he goes, and neither group wants to miss this. So Jesus kind of launches in. He, he tells three stories. The first one um, is about like a lost coin. And uh, this, he tells a story about a woman. She had 10 coins and she lost one and she freaks out. And so she goes through her house. She turns all the lights on. She spends hours and hours cleaning until she finds this one coin and she's stoked that she's found it. She's like overjoyed that she's got this coin. And then he, Jesus starts telling a parable about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. Everyone's like, wow. Rich guy, a hundred sheep, right? And one of them runs away. And everyone's like, oh, poor guy. But then the shepherd does something that no one would have done in the first century, okay? He goes and he starts chasing the sheep that went away. And everyone's like, well, that's weird. He's got 99. Like, why bother? He could lose the 99 if he goes after the one. But the shepherd goes and gets that sheep and then he brings it back and he throws this party. And everyone's like, okay, well, like, where's... How does does this help us see what God is like? Where's Jesus driving at with this? And then the final parable he gets to. The final parable he gets to is about a father and his two sons. And so he's building the whole way through Jesus with this. It's like, coin, not very emotional. Little cute sheep, sort of emotional. Father and two sons, very, very emotional. And sometimes I think it's good for us just to hear the story. And so what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to actually read to you what Luke wrote about the story that Jesus told. And I just wanted to read it sort of all, um, all in one chunk. And so this, this is how Luke recounts the story to us. coin, sheep. And to illustrate this point for, further, Jesus told them this story. Here's the story he told them. A man had two sons, okay? The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And this is important for context, because effectively what the younger son was saying here is, um, I wish you were dead, and I want what I would get when you were dead now. And the father does something unexpected. The father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, once he'd liquidated the things he needed to liquidate, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. So the father's like, great, I just liquidated half of it and gave it to him, and then he blew it about that time his money ran out a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve and he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and this man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no uh but no one gave him anything and when he finally comes to his senses he said to himself at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here i am dying of hunger you know what i'm going to go home to my father and i'll say father I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant, okay? I don't want to come back into the family. I just want a job. I just want a roof over my head. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to his son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quickly, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. That's the story Jesus told. There's a little bit on the end, which we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, but but here's the question to think about. How does Jesus want us to think about God? Just based on that story. How, how does Jesus, what picture does Jesus want to come to our minds when we think about God? And honestly, um, there's, a, there's a number of pictures. In fact, you could go through. And in fact, I'd, enc- I'd encourage you um, in a moment to, to do something that, that I'm going to walk you through. Um, and you can do it this week and you can have some pictures that come to mind. Here's one of the pictures that I think Jesus wants us to come to mind when we think about God. I think he wants to think of us as God as a father. Now, let me give you some context for this, right? Because remember, this was in the first century. And so Jesus is not saying that God is a man or God is a woman. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is using an illustration that was contextual to the first century to help accommodate to our level of thinking and the, uh, the way that we can relate to God. But what Jesus was doing here is giving us a picture of what God is like, and, and, the, and a way specifically in which we can relate to God. Now, here's why in the first century, Jesus would have used the example as a father, because this was a patriarchal society, okay? It was a highly patriarchal society. The father made the decisions, the father, uh, the father who the father said was in, the father said was out, that was how it worked in that society. And Jesus actually over 65 times throughout the biographies we have of Jesus, gives this picture of God as this like ultimate perfect father, this ultimate perfect leader, which would have connected to the people in the first century. But then he goes a step further. He goes a step further and he actually says to people, he says, hey, hey, when you talk to your father, I want you to, to pray as if you have a relationship. In fact, the word he uses is Abba which is kind of not like someone saying sir or father or um, you know, whatever title you might use. It's actually this term that kind of would better be translated as like daddy. It's like, hey, when you go to God, when you approach God, I want you to approach God as if He's someone you have a deep relational connection with. And I know, I know for some of you, right, this, even this idea of God as Father, it's, it's hard in the, in the 21st century. We know at the moment that one in seven um, Aussies grew up in single-parent households. And of those one in seven, 85% of them are fatherless. So if you're in a single-parent household, 85% of those are fatherless. And so I totally understand that maybe the picture you have of your father is is not a great picture. Maybe you don't even know your father. Maybe it's completely disconnected. And Jesus kind of gives us this kind of, picture of of what it would actually be like for God to be a perfect father but more than that for us to have a relationship with God and so what I did is I was just looking at this story I was like okay if I was to have a relationship with this person in the story how would I characterize that relationship if I was to if I was to describe the father in the story that Jesus has described if I was to look at Jesus's picture of God what picture would I come up with? And you might come up with a whole bunch of different words. This is what I'd encourage you to do this week. I'd encourage you to do this. But I just wanted to share with you the words that I came up with. So the first word is this. I'd kind of say the father was successful. He was a baller. Well, let's be honest. He had like property and he had servants and they had houses. He had, they had a whole bunch of stuff going on. He could liquidate his assets like that, sell it off to the son. It wasn't a big deal to him apparently. He was so successful. He was like, yeah, if you want half the stuff, go. Like, I, I got a whole bunch more. There'll be more where that came from. So he, he was successful. The other thing was that he was sacrificial. Notice as soon as the son says, hey, I I want what's mine now, the father was like, well, you know what? I'll take a loss. I'll take a loss if maybe ultimately it means that we can keep this relationship going. The father's father's sacrificial. He's also incredibly responsive. Like, really, he should have got mad. Really, he should have probably chased his son down and kicked him out of the home. But the father was so responsive, he goes, no, you know what? I'm actually going to do something and I'm going to respond to what's happening in this situation. I'm going to pour my love out on you and I'm going to give you what you want in the hopes that in the long run, maybe there'll be a relationship there at the end of it. But he was also fair because there was an older brother at home as well. It wasn't, he just didn't turn to the younger brother and go, oh sure, you get whatever you want. Whatever you want, you get all of it. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to do the fair thing. I'm going to give you what's yours and you can take what's yours and you can go. But you can't take all of it because some of it's for your brother as well. And he's also generous. Something, if you've heard this story before, that maybe you've missed, is that the reason that the son wanted to come home in the first place, is because when he got to the, the bottom of the bottom, the thing that drew him back was actually how generous his father was. He's like, oh, hang on a minute. My father has hired servants, and they get, he feeds them three meals a day. He gives them a house. He gives them a bed. He, put, he puts... All these things in place. And so it was actually the generosity of his father that was like, well, if he's generous with them, maybe he'll just be that generous with me and won't bring me back in, but maybe he'll set the bar there for me. The other thing um, is that the father was trusting. If you grew up in church or maybe you, you went to a school where you heard this um, parable told, it was probably called the parable of the prodigal son. Um, there's that word, that prodigal son. It's not really a great term, because prodigal actually means like extravagantly reckless. The son is not the reckless one in this parable. The father is. The father is extravagantly reckless because the father is the one who sells all his property. The father is the one who gives it to his son. And then the father is the one who welcomes the son back in, doesn't ask anything in return. And so from everyone on the outside looking in, they look at the father and they go, I cannot believe how reckless you are. But the father would probably look at that and go, no, 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 trusting, trusting, trusting is what I'm being. I'm trusting that this relationship will work out. I'm trusting that my son's going to return to me. I'm trusting because of what I've done that, um, that we will continue to have this relationship and I won't cut it off. He was also really patient, okay? So, so patient. Right, this, is, this is a father who, um, let's be honest, if he, was, if he was as successful as he was, he knew exactly where his son was the whole time, okay? He knew exactly where his son was the whole time for someone with that amount of money. But he didn't go in there and he didn't say, hey, you need to come home right now. Look how bad it is. Look how bad you've messed up. You need to come home. No, the father was, was patient. Imagine that he kind of just waited on the veranda. The light's on. Just day by day waiting. I wonder, I wonder if today's gonna be the day. I wonder if today's gonna be the day that he just comes over the horizon. But I'm not gonna go. And and so the father sits there patiently. He was also compassionate, right? Notice when the son comes home, he says he saw him and he was filled with love and compassion. Not bitterness and anger or jealousy, he wasn't mad, but he was he's compassionate. And then he's lavish, right? Because he threw a party. Straight away, first thing, he's like, let's not. Great to have you back. Let's get a party going because I'm so excited that you're back. And then here's the last thing. He was was proud. Right? In the midst of his son's worst moment, he was still proud enough to call him his son. He said, no, 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 no. I still want to be known as your father in the midst of the worst moment. In the midst of everything you've done, in the midst of the way that everyone in town is talking about me, in the midst of all the whispers that are going around, no, no, no. I still want to be your father, and I'm proud to call you my son. And this is something, um, this is something. Honestly, this part of the story is something I actually had no concept of, right? And uh, until, and I still don't have a bi- a good concept of it, right? Until about nine weeks ago, um, when my daughter was born, right? Now I'm brand new to the parenting game. Okay, nine weeks, nine weeks in. Um, and this is me. This is a picture of me and Daphne early on. We we're watching football. That's Daphne on the screen. My wife um, didn't want me to use that one because she reckons she looks like a bald old man. Um, <coughs> and I said, well, that's great, babe. I'll change it on the screen, okay? But Emma's not here yet, so that's fine. Um, and here's, here's what's interesting, right, is I, I, I was looking at Daphne um, while we were watching, obviously we are watching Arsenal play because she's gotta grow up to support a good football team. And I was sitting there and I'm, I'm looking at Daphne and I'm thinking to myself in this moment, I'm thinking to myself, man i hope you grow up to pay me back for all the nappies we use like you better get it you better get a really successful job that pays really really well and then i'm going to take a cut okay i'm thinking in that moment i'm thinking you better not do anything that ever embarrasses me in public okay don't ever throw a tantrum don't ever lose your mind okay because you will be cut off that's no i'm not thinking that right i'm not thinking that in this moment here's what i'm thinking in this moment i'm thinking to myself Regardless of whether you do anything world-breaking or not, I'm still going to be proud, okay? Regardless of whether you play sport or music or whatever whatever you choose, I'm still, I'm still going to be proud. Regardless of, of what you do to embarrass me, come and talk to me first before we go tell mum. We'll tell mum together. It'll be way easier that way, okay? But I'm still, I'm still going to call you my daughter. I'm still going to be proud to call you my daughter. And this is the sort of picture... That Jesus gives us of what God is like and so today's application is it's really simple okay today's application is this would you consider having a conversation with this God maybe you've had a different picture in your mind of what God is like or you've had a different understanding of what God is but the the God that Jesus paints in this story would you consider this week having a conversation with that God Maybe, maybe it's as simple as just telling that God, hey, I need, I need what's mine now. I need my inheritance now. I need my stuff now. Maybe it's a matter of saying, God, actually, I don't really know what you think about me. Like, would you would you tell me what you think about me? Maybe maybe you need to say, hey, God, look, I, here's some things that I think about you. Okay, I got my list. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. I'm going to tell you exactly how it is. But however you have that conversation this week, I just encourage you, would you begin to consider having that conversation, and I'll be honest, today's today's message is a simple message, right? It's not much, it's not super deep, it's simple, but it's not simplistic, and here's why it's not simplistic, and here's why it sort of sets us up for where we're going over the next two weeks, is because thinking about God as a Father prepares the way for thinking about you as the Father thinks about you. See, see, on the Jesus view of God, and we'll look at this in the next couple weeks, on the Jesus view of God, God wants something for you, but you can't fully understand and grasp why God would want that or what God wants for you until you begin to think about yourself the way that God thinks about you, until you begin to see yourself the way that God sees you. And so this week, I'd love to invite you just to begin that conversation. And to help you do that, um, sometimes I give, we give an application, we're like, great, have a great week, go and do that. I want to give you a moment right now to do it. And so the band, they're going to play a song called Good Good Father. And um, you can say seated if you want, or you can stand. Um, I'll, I'll let you decide. But there's a, there's a lyric in the second verse. And in the second verse, it talks about this idea of like, hey, I've been searching for answers. Maybe if you, you've been asking that question, hey, God, what do you really like? And it says, I've been searching for answers far and wide. And ultimately, I think what I've been searching for is answers that only you provide. And maybe for a long time, you've, you've, trying to figure out what God is really like and you've looked to podcasts and you've looked to other people and you've looked to your experience but maybe it's time to just actually turn to God be like God hey what are you really like help me begin to understand what you are really like and so I'm going to pray for us and then I hand back to Naomi and the band I'm going to have an opportunity to do that so why don't we pray Jesus it is um challenging and it is difficult depending on the way that we've grown up depending on the family we've grown up in to see you as a father maybe to see you as compassionate to see you as close to see you as loving Lord, thinking about our experiences maybe our experiences are the things that get in the way of us knowing you and so jesus this week i pray that we would begin to talk to you we would begin to be honest with you about where we're at about our struggles about our challenges and that Maybe for the very first time, we'd begin to believe that, that you are compassionate, that you are loving, that you are sacrificial, and that you want us to run to you and to ask our questions to you, and that you'll be there to meet us with open arms. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well once again, thanks so much for listening. And hey, if you live in the Griffin, Marumba Downs, North Lakes, or Morton Bay region, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend environments. You can find out more by heading to our website beyondchurch.com.au. You'll find directions, service times, and what you can expect as well as information on our Upstreet Kids Club, which is our primary school aged environment, and Infinity Youth, our high school aged environment. That website, beyondchurch.com.au.